0: Good morning, Mosaic. My name is Andrea, and I will be reading Psalm 95 this morning in Spanish. Vengan, cantemos con júbilo al Señor. Aclamemos a la roca de nuestra salvación. Lleguemos ante Él con acción de gracias. Aclamémoslo con cánticos. Porque el Señor es el gran Dios, el gran Rey sobre todos los dioses. En sus manos están los abismos de la tierra. Suyas son las cumbres de los montes. Suyo es el mar porque él lo hizo. Con sus manos formó la tierra firme. Vengan, postrémonos reverentes. Doblemos la rodilla ante el Señor nuestro Hacedor. Porque él es nuestro Dios y nosotros somos el pueblo de su prado. Somos un rebaño bajo su cuidado. Si ustedes oyen su voz, no endurezcan el corazón como en Meribah, como aquel día en Masá, en el desierto, cuando sus antepasados me tentaron, cuando me pusieron a prueba, a pesar de haber visto mis obras. 40 años estuve enojado con aquella generación y dije, son un pueblo mal encaminado que no reconoce mis senderos, así que en mi enojo, this is the word of the Lord.
1: Thanks be to God. All right, well, good morning. Uh, we're continuing our, our series of looking at Mosaic's DNA. You know, when we say DNA, we're referring to the, to the core of the local church. And so what is it that, that we bleed? You know, what is it that is vital to us? And, and so we've already walked through our three values, you know, to be gospel-centered Multicultural and spirit led and those are our values that those define who we are. but a big question to ask of any church is is not just who are you, but it's what do you do? you know <laughs> what is it you actually do uh, and and that's what the way the world should work like who you are determines what you do you know sometimes we try to flip those things and we say like you know. You know what I do is who I am. And so, like, you know, my job is who I am. My worth is now t- tied to my success in my job. And that's why instinctually, like, when we meet someone, we ask them, you know, what's your name? Followed by, you know, what do you do, right? We don't ask, who are you really? You know, <laughs> that, that, that gets to a deeper picture of the person because there'll be, like, a natural flow that, that comes from our values. I wish we would ask that way. Um, you know, Chadwick Boseman, who recently passed, you know, it. Reported that he took roles that meant something deeper to him. Like he turned down other roles because he asked the question, "Who am I really?" And that and that and that determined what he did, what roles he chose, because he kept going back to who he was. And so, who are we as a church? Now, for Mosaic, we are gospel-centered, multicultural, and spirit-led, and that that's going to determine what we do, and not just. Um, as a church, as an institution, but you, the church. You know, what expectations do we have for you as you represent Mosaic? Well, we try to make it easy so you can remember it. We are to adore Christ, apply the gospel, and act with mercy and justice. Now, notice, not only do they all begin with the letter A, but they're all calls to action, you know, to adore, apply, act, you know, sometimes we can become theologically gluttonous, like going to a theological buffet and loading up our plates and going back for seconds and, and then getting desserts. <laughs> but we don't ever actually do anything. <laughs> and so we're just so stuffed on our theology. What are we going to do? And so our mission is, what do we do with all of this theology? We're not called to just sit and read and sip on these scriptural truths like a fine wine, commentating on what notes we picked up and what we don't like. Like, God calls us to action and we'll see here from this text, from Psalm 95, that God is calling you to do this, this one thing, which is to adore. But we're going to break that down into three points in the sermon. We're going to look at adore Christ in worship. So adore Christ in worship. Adore. You know, one of the greatest things about this, the Psalms is that they just give us a, a full range of emotions for worship. Like You can worship with, with tears of joy and, and, and tears of immense grief. You can worship with lullabies and laments. Like we can truly worship in a myriad of ways because worship is an act of ascribing ultimate value no matter the situation. It's lifting up something as ultimate, saying, this is phenomenal. This changes everything. And it doesn't mean you have to overlook or ignore the the painful things in life to, to praise God, but it's an act that engages your whole being that states, I have a new priority. And so something deeper is more important to me than everything else in life. I mean, if you look at Psalm 73, uh, this beautiful psalm, a guy named Asaph, who's crying out, you know, why do the wicked prosper? I mean, it's a lament. He's watching bad and evil people benefiting from an unjust system, and it's painful. And yet everything changes for him when when he comes into the house of God. And so here's the weird thing. It's when we worship that our mind and our body and our emotions get reset, that, that all of us gets put back together again. And so true worship is going to engage your entire being. You know, so wherever you're at spiritually, Psalm 95 describes all of this. It, it will engage your mind. It will engage your will. It will engage your emotions. And so in verse eight, it, it says, hear, you know, hear his voice, listen to it, referring to, to the mind, to listen to the reason, accept what he says, use logic, chew on the material. You know, don't just check your brain at the door. And so, so hear it. But we also see that our wills are being directed in verse 6. You know, it says, come, kneel, bow down. And you, so you see that you can think of like the three wise men who are doing this very thing in Matthew 2 when they're following the star of David that has been leading them to the Christ and the Savior of the world. And when it settles over the house where the child was, it says in verse 11, and going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshiped him in front of a baby. They fell down and they bowed. Their knees gave way to this king. So when our wills are submitted, we we kneel before the king. It orients us holistically. Like it moves us to give reverence and so our minds are uh, it's affecting our wills, but this passage begins in verse 1 with emotions. It says call, shout, extol, make a joyful noise. Now, now we didn't just choose adore because it begins with the letter A, though maybe. Um, we, we chose adore because it conveys something much deeper than just worship. When you adore something, you love it deeply. I mean, it's a response to seeing something so wonderful and beautiful that you just have to adore it. And this is what we get when we encounter God in worship. I mean, it's like driving up to the Grand Canyon as you look out over this, this massive expanse. That, and no one has to tell you to worship in that moment. As you look at it, you just do because you're seeing God's greatness and it evokes an emotion in you that you just can't help but adore. Or when you hear like a, a deeply moving song or read a good book or watch a live performance that, that leaves your lips on the floor, like it evokes a response. I mean, when Hamilton finished, when we watched it on Disney+, Plus, like Disney didn't have to put it up on the screen that says, Now applaud. Our family just started apl- applauding. <laughs> we, we felt like we had to respond because it was so moving. I mean, adoration is a response. It's not something you have to conjure up. We walk into his presence and we can do nothing but adore. That word adore is really the only, the only time that word specifically is actually used in the Bible is, is from Song of Solomon, where we get this picture of a husband and a wife who are just falling over themselves with how much they are in love with one another. And the woman says in chapter one, how right they, other women, how right they are to adore you. Of course, all the ladies adore you. Of course, they look to you. I mean, do you hear her desire for her husband? She's infatuated with him. Like So when we see our spouse in this way, we find them precious. We find them beautiful. This is how we are to see God. And then we truly worship. I mean, it's not enough just to sing the words and affirm the sentences we have to adore him. And what this means is you can be in worship without worshiping. Like you can just go through the motions and it's not worship. True worship is joy-filled, it's mind-bending, and it's experience that changes us. And so if you go to some ritual and mouth the liturgy of what the church is actually asking you to say without a ravishing sense of inner joy, it's not worship. Or if you have a highly emotional experience, but it doesn't change your life patterns or the way that you think, it's not worship. Like, adoration is all-encompassing. And so, adore, but, but adore who? Christ. Now, to the outside world, this may sound confusing. You know, why adore Christ? I mean, this psalm here is talking about worshiping Yahweh, it has, it has the Lord in all caps, or it uses the word God, and so the word Christ isn't even present here, and so I'd say that's a fair question, but who is God? What is God? I mean, sometimes in the Old Testament, we see God's presence is, is marked by a giant pillar of smoke that, that, would, that would guide the Israelites during the day and fire by night, and so is God fire and smoke? No, but the awesomeness of God's presence is those things, and you would expect this if we are talking about a being that created the world and the stars and the sun out of thin air, that that being is greater and far more powerful than anything else in, this, in his creation that can be produced. And so this is why if you were to look at God's face, you would drop down dead in the Old Testament. Like Moses had to hide himself in the cleft of the rock as the Lord passed him by. I mean, we, we can see this is true. We can do an experiment today. Like, just go outside and stare at the sun. If you go outside today and just stare at the sun for a couple minutes, your eyes are going to fall out. Simple as that, right? <laughs> right? You'd lose your sight. Why? Because the sun is just too great. I mean, the same thing can be said about God. His presence is just too great for us. That If, if we unholy people were to stand in his presence, we wouldn't be bored and yawning. We'd be smoke. <laughs> It would kill us. I mean, how do we adore something we can't even look at? Well, God finds a way. God sends his son. He incarnates himself into the story. And this is what the author of Hebrews was saying in Hebrews 1. It says, Long ago and at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he's spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also created the world, He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. He upholds the universe by the word of his power. The author becomes the character in his own book so that we can actually hear from him, so that we can actually connect with the author. He says, before we spoke in many times in many ways, burning bushes, pillars, right? Or he spoke through prophets, but now he's given us everything in his son, God is laying all his cards on the table. He's trying to say, you want to know me? Know him. You want to experience God? Experience Jesus. He is the radiance of the glory, the exact imprint. Jesus is God. He is God translated to us so that we can understand him, so that we can know the unknowable. He's who the psalmist is extolling right here. So it's all about Jesus. I mean, does the church point you to Jesus? or to yourself. I mean, it's a problem if the church continually is to point you to yourself. It's a problem if all we ever do is just the three steps to a happy life, the three ways to break free of our fears. I mean, these aren't bad things, but this is like gluing apples on a dead tree. Yeah, the tree may now have apples on it, but (laughs) the tree's still dead. Like, we want to feed the root of the tree so that the real life comes about. We want to give you Christ to feast and to adore and to worship because adoring Christ, experiencing Christ is what we're all made for. It's our highest end. And worshiping Christ, it brings us alive and the fruit then grows. And so more than this, remember who we are determines what we do. It's because we're gospel-centered and focusing on the good news of Jesus that he came into this world to save sinners that we then in turn adore him and all that he's done for us. So Jesus is the hero of the story. It's it's all about him. And when Jesus becomes the most important thing to you, it makes adoration almost easy. I mean, if I told you, listen to your father, kids, listen to your father. And let's say you don't like your father. Uh, Or let's say you're angry at him. He's angry at you. Maybe you don't trust him. Well, that becomes like a difficult thing to do if I said, listen to your father. You feel like you have to comply, just like you feel like you have to obey the speed limit. You're like, oh, okay. But if you knew your father loved you just the way that you are, if you had a father who accepted you, who fought battles for you, and is willing to die for you, then it changes everything. You can't help but say, he loves me like that. And I know he wants the best for me. I'm adored by him in turn, I'm going to revere, respond, and adore him. I mean, looking at what Christ has done for you demands a response from us, not because we should, but because we're compelled to, because we get to. And so adore Christ, but where? And that's when we say in worship. We want to give you clarity on, on what and where. We want to give you avenues to work out these values. And so the first one is in worship, in church. And it seems clear from Scripture that God invites you to worship in church. Now, before I say any more, I think it's appropriate to qualify that statement with, you know, during this pandemic, there are seasons in which it's not wise for us to come together as we've experienced. I mean, especially if coming together could spread a deadly virus to one another, right? That It seems obvious, and it's really not helpful when people are quoting 2 Corinthians 3.18 saying, and we all with unveiled faces beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed in the same image from one degree of glory to another. As an argument for saying we should have no masks in worship. <laughs> this is not an argument to not wear a mask. It's an argument because of what Christ has done between us. The veil between God and us is now removed so that we will not be blown away into smithereens by God's presence. We now have access to the Father. That veil has been taken away. But anyways, now you may also say, hey, 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 arguing to adore Christ in worship sounds a lot like the church is just trying to get people to come into their building and and, and empty their pockets. Well, I also have good news for you. This church doesn't have a building, so (laughs) we're good. Uh, But we do think that you should come together. I mean, look at this psalm. Look at how many times God is calling us together. It says, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise. Let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel, for he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture. I mean, do you see the collective nature? Like, we need to do this in community. We were made to be in community. I mean, as a group, let us praise, of course, individually, but that's in preparation for a corporate worship. Now, I, I, I know that this flies in the face of the modern way of thinking, you know, I think one of the most popular questions that I get asked, you know, uh, besides like our stance on certain issues is, you know, why can't I just like sit on the bridge watching a sunrise while listening to my podcast from my church? You know, like I'm getting my word then. I, I-, I can even stream some really good music and I don't have to bother with any annoying people. <laughs> and I would say, you're right, you can. And I would say, you should listen to that podcast and you should worship with that music and you should watch that sunrise but just don't call it church. Like those are good things, but don't call it church because the church, as we've all realized, is not a building. It's a people. It's a community. And there is something special that happens when we worship together and worship God in community. I mean, many of you this, this, admitted this this last Sunday when we came together again there was something special about being together and to worship. It was something special about hearing you sing and recite the liturgy that brings immense consolation to my heart. I mean, you are singing the good news into my bones. Notice it doesn't say, Come, let us listen to other people sing, or Come, let us make excuses for why we're not good singers, because I have a million of those. Jada could tell you. Now, <laughs> we're all invited to come, let us sing. So that we are all worship leaders, leading others into worship. It's this corporate reality. And it's in this diversity of our congregation that we get a a bigger picture of God. Because I, by myself, have only one slice of the kingdom. I have a picture of God. It's not the full picture. Yes, the scriptures give me all that I need to know. But I get more of Christ in a fuller picture when I do so in community. I mean, C.S. Lewis famously tells this tale about when, when he had the, this group of friends, and, and the, the the small group of friends, and one of his buddies, Charles, dies. And when he did die, he secretly thought, "Oh, how sad," but now maybe I'll get more from my other friend, Ronald, J.R.R. R. Tolkien. He did Lord of the Rings. He's saying, "Maybe now that Charles is dead, I'll, I'll get more of Tolkien to myself." But what he found out was that when there are only certain things that that Ronald in Ronald that Charles pulled out of him. So that when Charles died, he didn't get more of Ronald, he got less. Because you see, one friend brings out something, a part of you, and another friend brings out another part of you. And so we don't get more of human beings uh, when, when others are away, we get less. Like we need other human beings to give us a more complex view of the community, to give a fuller picture of who that person is. If that's true, how much more true would it be of Jesus Christ? And so unless you're in worshiping in a community, you don't get a a bigger picture of God. You get less of him. So the more diverse, the better, because then we get a more accurate picture of God. The corporate community gives us a, a richer experience. I mean, yeah, crying babies can be distracting at times in worship, but they can also remind us of the goodness and the care of a creator, that we need one another to get the fullest adoration of Christ. A guy named Esau McCauley just put out a book called Reading While Black. And in it, he argues that the uniquely black American interpretation of the Bible is critical to the church's understanding of who God is. That The the, the black American interpretation is, is critical for the church universal, that we need these voices to understand God more fully. Now, you, so we need it, but you still might be asking, but how? Why can we come into God's presence when isn't he everywhere? Like, don't we believe God's omnipresent? Yes. But why does David say, cast me not away from thy presence? Or what does Asaph say? But when I thought how to understand all of this pain and oppression, it seemed to me a wearisome task until I went into the sanctuary of God, where his presence was. I mean, what do we do with that? Well, in spite of the fact that God is everywhere, if you adore Christ in community, you will sense his reality in a greater way because he localizes himself in a greater way then. Where two or three are gathered in, there in my name, there I am. There is the presence of the Lord. And so God meets you in the church. This is why these last couple months have been especially heavy for many of you. We haven't had the spiritual nourishment amidst the tirades of evils hitting us because we haven't had the community This is why we worship on the Sabbath, because on this one day in seven, we're to rest. Yes, physically, but but spiritually, because our souls need it. And so if you look at the psalm, it it starts so upbeat, and yet it ends so negatively. Verses 8 through 11, it ends with this great warning, do not harden your hearts. You know, God reminds them of the Israelites who hardened their hearts and didn't get to enter the land of milk and honey. And you might wonder, why is David telling the people who have already entered the land that if they, don't, if they do harden their hearts, they will not enter as rest? Because clearly there is another rest that we all need. There is a spiritual rest. Resting in what Christ has done for you. Worship is not designed as one more thing that you have to do. If it was, then it would just be another burden weighing you down. Worship would then become work. And then you might feel prideful on some days like, man, I worshiped. I gave it my all today. Or maybe shame on other days and just like, I don't know what I did wrong. I didn't feel it today. Like worship is not supposed to function that way. It's not one more thing for you to do. It's something we get to do. We get to praise him. And so today, do not harden your hearts. Enter his rest. Rest from all your work. Spiritually. Rest from Rest from school. Rest from your work physically. Rest from living up to other standards. Rest from being good enough. Rest from being smart enough. Rest from having to be right from the fear of the unknown. Rest from a world that feels so uncertain from what others say about you. Rest spiritually because of what Christ has done for you. Because what Christ has done for you is all you ever need. And so enter his courts with thanksgiving and, and adore him. Today, for our own souls, adore Christ in worship. This is the mission of the church, and we pray that you're able to worship with him today. Let's pray.